Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we're honored. We are here with Professor Baruch Lev. He is the Philip Bards Professor of Accounting and Finance at New York University Stern School of Business. He teaches courses in accounting, financial analysis, and investor relationship uh, for the last 17 years. Uh, he is the author of five books, including Intangibles, Measurement and Reporting, and Financial Statement Analysis, A New Approach, and Winning Investors Over. And we are going to focus on his most recent book, written with his co-author, Fang Gu, uh, The End of Accounting which just, I think, literally came out June 27th of uh, last month, and I read it already, and I just think it's a blockbuster. So Professor Lev, uh, before joining NYU, he held professorial positions at the University of Chicago, the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, Tel Aviv University, he was, uh, and he was also the dean of the uh, business school. And, and uh, the University of California at Berkeley, and he earned his Ph.D. in accounting at the University of Chicago. Professor Lev, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thank you very much. Happy to be with you. Uh, it's an honor. I, I, I was thrilled that we got you on so fast because I literally just finished your book last week, and it just, wow, it, uh, it just blew my mind. And what I think is wonderful about it is it's very accessible. You don't have to be an accountant to enjoy it. I think any investor, any business person would get a lot out of it. You better not be an accountant because the message for accountants is not a very positive one. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, why, why did you write this book now? What was the compelling uh, motivation? Uh, this is something that uh, grew within me for years and years. Uh, basically started when I was in uh, University of California, Berkeley. I was a partner in a consulting firm, and I was in charge of uh, valuations. And I did valuations. Uh, this is the late 80s, early 90s, valuation of all the emerging industries, cellular phone companies, biotech companies, then internet companies, and as an accountant, 
the first resource that I tried to use was, of course, the financial reports of these companies. And I found them almost useless for valuation purposes. And uh, what really determined values of all these companies were uh, other fundamentals, not accounting type of fundamentals like uh, penetration rate of cellular phone companies or the product pipeline of biotech companies. So this was my first hint that there is something wrong with, uh, with financial reports. And uh, then uh, I generated evidence, many other people generated evidence over the years of an increasing disconnect between share prices and financial uh, information. And I finally uh, got to the realization that uh, someone has to say something about uh, this, this very disturbing trend. So that's, that's what, I, what got me to write the book. And the book uh, is really totally based on, on evidence from the first chapter to the last chapter, evidence uh, on, on uh, our relationship between share prices and key financial indicators, evidence on the ability of earnings to predict future earnings, which is their the main use by investors, evidence on the uh, increasing ambiguity, uncertainty of financial analysts which uh, follow companies. And uh, these are our conclusions. And then we provide in the book uh, uh, a report, which I think is a very useful one. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it uh, more useful for both managers and investors. But it's not, it's not like a 200-page report, which is the current financial report. It's basically one page which, which presents the real value creators of the business. Right. You, that would be your strategic resources and consequences report. Yes. And and I and I love it, Professor, because you went and and you gave you give real life examples, and and you picked four very difficult <laughs> uh, sectors to do that in. I mean, media and entertainment, and property and casualty insurance, and pharma, and biotech, and oil and gas. Those are not simple industries, and yet you illustrate how it could be done even there. And I just think it's I think it's brilliant. Um, but I, I'd like to go back because I think you drop a time bomb, or at least I thought it was. You say in the book that a trifling, only five or six percent of the information that's relevant to and used by investors is provided by today's financial reports. That's astonishing. It is astonishing, and uh, uh, modern, modern statistics allows us to get this kind of, uh, of uh, measurement. And basically what we do, I don't want to uh, present it as a great mystery, but basically what we do is uh, on the basis of a very large sample of companies, uh, basically all, all publicly available companies, uh, uh, publicly traded companies in the United States, we look at or we measure the reaction of stock prices 
to information from various sources. So just think about two of the sources that we are using. One is the financial report, and another is uh, analyst forecasts of, uh, of earnings. So we measure the day that the information uh, that the financial report is published or the day that uh, the forecasts are published, we measure the price reaction, the change in price to the information, which is quite an accurate measure of the impact of the information on investors. If the information is very useful, there will be a significant price change. If the information is not useful, the price will not budge at all. And this we do over uh, like, like, like 50 years uh, for a lot and lots of uh, companies. And this allows you to get quite an accurate measure of the contribution of the information in financial reports relative to all other information that investors are using. And that's how we got this, this really disappointing number of uh, 5 to 6%. It is, it is very disappointing. It, it is because we have this enormous infrastructure of these auditing firms and the SEC and all these regulations thinking that this is somehow helping investors or keeping the capital markets efficient, uh, and it doesn't seem to be doing that at all. It's not, and that's what we drove us uh, to devote uh, three chapters in the book to identify the reasons for uh, this, uh, what I, I may term the, the fall from grace of accounting. <laughs> and uh, without reasons, uh, all these statistics uh, are really unbelievable. Uh, as you say, there are huge institutions regulators that for years and years churn new and new standards, new and new regulations, and you would expect a significant increases rather than decreases in the relevance of information. But what we see are decreases. But uh, the nice thing I think about it is that we provide uh, reasonable reasons for this decline. So we identified, which should help those who are in charge of, of those regulations to change things. Right. Well, one of the things that I love that you did was you showed a 1902 set of financial statements from the U.S. Steel Corporation, and then you compared that to their 2012. Now, obviously, the reports were a lot bigger 110 years later, but they're essentially the same thing. They're reporting the same information. This model hasn't evolved in a hundred years. This, this really amazed me. Uh, five, six years ago, uh, a colleague uh, put on my desk uh, 20 pages, and I asked him, what is this? And he said, have a look. This is the first financial report of U.S. Steel company from 1902, and I'm a history buff, so I, I was immediately enthusiastic about it, but I couldn't believe my eyes when I started reading this report, 
it was in its structure, it was identical to current financial reports. It had a balance sheet, it had an income statement, it had a cash flow statement, and even even the items in the two reports uh, were, were basically identi- uh, identical. The numbers, of course, were different. In 1902, U.S. Steel was a much more successful company than today. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe because uh, Rockefeller and Morgan and Freak and all these legendary names uh, were on board of uh, the company. But uh, the structure is identical. Now, one can, of course, we, we used it, in the, as you say, in the first chapter of the book, basically as a teaser. One can say, well, the structure is the same, but the meaning of the numbers uh, is, is, much, is much different today. And that's why we have subsequent chapters. But, you know, just, just think uh, uh, going to a doctor for, for a... a, a very thorough checkup of your body, and you get the same type of analysis that people got from doctors 110 years ago. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's amazing, because uh, financial report is a checkup of, of uh, the company. So you, you would expect with all the incredible development in information, in the ability of investors to digest the information, that, that there will be significant structural changes in the report, new types of, of uh, things. And so I, I, was, I was amazed. I sent copies of this report to members of the Financial Accounting Standards Board, and I just asked them, please, please let me know where are all the developments. <laughs> I, got, I got some nasty responses. Oh, I can imagine. Well, the yeah. other t- the other statistical bomb I think you drop is forty percent of companies o- over forty percent of companies show pro forma earnings. I don't know if there's any more bigger indictment that, than what the accounting profession is selling is the Etzel of our day. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Baruch, we're up against the uh, our first break, so we uh, would like to remind people, folks, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com, and please check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. We will have full links to the professor's books and uh, excerpts from it. Uh, I highly recommend it. I just thought it was a fantastic book. It's by far the best book I've read so far this year, and now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise. I am Ed Kless now with Professor Baruch Lev, who's we are discussing his book, The End of Accounting and the Path Forward for Investors and Managers. Professor, I'm not an accountant, but I'm finding this discussion fascinating myself. But I wanted to ask you, uh, you say, as, as, as you mentioned to Ron, about 5 to 6% of the information is relevant to and used by in, investors. But how much time are they are the investors spending on on the analysis of this report? Doesn't seem like they're only spending five to six percent of their time actually analyzing the numbers. Is that disproportionate? Do you think? Uh, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, it's disproportionate by some and less so by by others. Uh, 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 very, very deep-pocketed investors uh, have ex- direct access to managers like like uh, hedge, large hedge funds. They have large uh, research teams. They use proprietary data. Uh, my daughter, for example, worked for a hedge fund. Uh, following pharmaceutical companies, and uh, she had access to weekly drug prescriptions in the United States. So she knew about the the revenues of companies weeks before they were actually uh, published from these weekly uh, data. So some some investors uh, can really completely circumvent the financial reports because they have better information. But for many others, uh, answering directly your question, they, they still rely quite heavily on financial reports, uh, reacting, for example, with alarm when a company misses the consensus earnings and selling the stock and things like that. So they definitely, some definitely devote more than 5-6% of their time to these reports. They are very, very difficult to uh, analyze because you have you have sometimes hundreds of pages of uh, information there and it's it's not an easy task and do you think this is where it, to that end do you think this is where we might see the emergence of say you know IBM's Watson technology d- doing analysis and, and really replacing some of the analysis that's done by these financial analysts because there's it's just so dense some of the reports uh, some some can definitely be replaced, and I'm sure that they are doing it. Uh, some of them are doing it uh, right now. 
But my concern is always the major concern of the securities laws, which is leveling the playing, uh, playing field. And I somehow would like all investors, not just the privileged ones, with, with access to IBM and others, uh, to get in a very comprehensive, simple report the main information that they need. And there, clearly, a lot of money is being spent on developing these reports and all of these filings. What do you suppose the ROI is on this? If only 5 five to 6% of it is relevant to and being used by investors, do you think, is the ROI at all positive on the regulation? Uh, it may be positive, but it's definitely very, very small. I found, I found a comment that I received from a CFO of a very large company. I found uh, a very, very deep and to the point. And he told me, when I asked him about the value of the information that you produce and you sign on to investors, he told me, uh, Baruch, what we are doing is a compliance exercise. The regulations are so complex, they are coming uh, on uh, very frequently. And basically what we try to do is to comply exactly with all those regulations from the FASB, from the SEC, and uh, he said, uh, we are not really, at least he, uh, thinking about providing useful information to investors. And I found, I found this uh, description of a compliance exercise as a very profound one. So do you suppose, are you familiar at all with, with the, uh, there's a, a theory in economics, the bootleggers and the Baptists, which uh, ex- oh. explain explains the notion of, of why you know prohibition was was able to last for even as long as it was, which is a coalition of boot, bootleggers and Baptists. So the bootleggers wanted prohibition to continue because they were making all of this money, right? And the the Baptists wanted to do it for the moral reasons. And I'm just wondering if there's kind of a similar bootlegger Baptist coalition going on right now. You know, with our regulatory structure, with you know the the accountants serving as the as the role of the of the bootleggers in a sense, because they're making a lot of money from producing these reports, and then of course the SEC and the regulators are in the role of the Baptist, proclaiming, oh, you know, we need we need to keep everybody on the straight and narrow here, and it's just like this this continuous reinforcing loop. Does that make any sense? This is a brilliant thing. I, I uh, you know I study economics all my life, and I never heard about that. <laughs> I'm going to check it. Uh, you, are, you are perfectly right. Uh, the reason why this goes on and probably will continue to go on despite my book uh, <laughs> is that there are, there are some very strong vested interests. And it's not just accountants, uh, or I would say most. Uh, some are definitely concerned about the decreasing value of information. I work, I work with... Uh, uh, an accounting firm that is, is deeply concerned with the decline in the relevance of the information. So it's not all of them, but many of them uh, don't suffer from the increasing complexity and burden of regulation. 
It's basically, as someone told me, it's a, f- a full employment act for accountants. <laughs> but, but it's not, but, but the bootleggers uh, are not just the accountants. Uh, took me years to understand a very, very highly connected, deep-pocketed investors are thriving from lack of, consp- of, of, uh, of clarity uh, in financial reports because that's where their ability with their research staff comes in to overcome this thing. Mm. So even, even not all investors have great interest in, in changing the information system and getting more transparency. Some thrive on lack of transparency. So there sure. are there are some there are deep vested interest in the in the status quo, and of course you have you have uh, the regulators. I have no doubt in my mind that they they have very good intentions. I have no doubt in that. Uh, but but regulators usually are convinced that they are doing the right thing. And it's extremely difficult, not just in accounting, but, but uh, environmental regulators, others. It's very difficult to convince them uh, to change what they are doing. Sure. Well, and if you're paid a couple hundred thousand dollars a year as a regulator, your incentive is to believe that what you're doing is the right thing, too. Sure. So. <laughs> and it's even more than that for, the, for, for some regulators. So I wanted to ask you, uh, many, many of the folks in our audience are accountants and handle smaller businesses, not, not people who have to file through the SEC. How much of this thesis do you think applies to privately held companies? Um, so not, not just the stuff where uh, the investors are involved, but just you know, the, the, the small and medium businesses getting financial reports and financial statements and, and understanding and digesting that. Is there a trickle-down effect, I guess I'm asking? I think, I think uh, there is, there is uh, and, and I, I, I'm really reluctant to publicize the book. <laughs> you are doing it better than I do. <laughs> but I think there is a very important message there, even for private companies, despite the fact that the evidence, of course, is based on public companies because we have the data for them and not for private. The, uh, the point I'm making is that uh, there is a very strong effect of financial reporting, external reporting on the information that managers are using. And uh, poor financial reporting uh, basically causes the information that managers are using for decisions to be also relatively, relatively poor. And there is lots of evidence for that. So for smaller companies, privately held companies, what we are talking about in the second part of the book and as Ron mentioned before, we are giving four uh, 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 very detailed examples for four industries. We are talking about the main value creators of businesses, which these days are not factories and inventory and buildings and machines, 
about our patents and brands and human resources and 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 our business uh, uh, systems depends on the industry, of course. So we are pointing out the main value creators, how best to deploy these value creators, how to protect them from infringement and disruptive uh, technologies, how to extract value from them. And I think this is also an important message for non-public companies. Outstanding. Well, we are up against our next break. This is a, a great conversation. I look forward to the second half of it. But right now, I want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com if you want to send and get a, get a question to Ron or myself. In addition, the website, The Soul of Enterprise, has show previews for upcoming shows as well as the show notes. And I'm sure we will have detailed show notes from our conversation here with Professor Lev in the next couple of days sent out to everybody. And you can also listen to all of our previous shows on that site as well. But we do love for you to also subscribe to us at iTunes. And you can get there by going to thesoulofenterprise.com slash iTunes. But right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. Here We're, we're here with Professor Baruch uh, uh, Lev from the uh, uh, University of uh, New York University, I'm sorry, Stern School of Business. And Baruch, I wanted to ask you, 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 the book is laid out in four parts, and we've already talked about the relevance lost. We, you talked about the the comparison of the U.S. Steel Corp, you know, 110 years apart, and they're essentially the same thing. And 
over nearly half of companies report pro forma earnings, which are non-GAAP earnings. So we kind of understand the relevance lost. You document that very well. You then go on to talk about why is the relevance lost? How did accounting lose its way? Uh, we point out, and I mean, we have a, a, a whole chapter for each of these uh, three with lots of evidence, but we talk about uh, three major reasons. But given our limited time, let me uh, uh, focus on one. And the one is that I'm going to focus on is the uh, incredible transformation of businesses all over the world, but more so in the United States in the last 20, 30 years. And some people call it the knowledge economy. Some people call it the information economy. But it's basically the shift from creating values of companies uh, by fixed assets, by things that you can touch or when they fall, they make noise, factories, machines, inventory, to creating value with inter- mainly intangible uh, assets, with patents, brands, uh, uh, human resources, systems, and, and of course, information uh, technology. Uh, just, just to give you an idea, the, the total investment of the private sector in the United States in 2014 in intangible assets was $2.1 trillion, trillion with a T like Tom, <laughs> and the investment in tangible assets was $1.2, slightly uh, more than half of that. And the, the sad thing about it, that if you look at corporate balance sheets, they are still full with those tangible fixed assets. You have factories, machines, inventory in them, but you don't have any of the, of the intangibles there. They are all expensed and vanished and basically uh, misreported uh, there. So this incredible revolution of businesses, uh, everyone participated in it except accountants. (laughs) So the the financial reports uh, really don't reflect anymore the main things that create value. If you think about, let's let's say Pfizer, Pfizer doesn't create, uh, the pharmaceutical company doesn't create value with laboratory equipment because all its competitors have the same quality of laboratory equipment. It creates value by people who develop drugs, by patents and brands, by very skilled sales force that pastors, doctors to to prescribe their drugs. That's how value is created. And, and these, these value creators are not reflected in the financial reports. That's exactly right. I mean, the World Bank has got a couple fascinating studies, the wealth of nations, and they say 80% of the developed world's wealth resides in human capital. Yeah. And yet, you've got all this intellectual capital that doesn't appear on the financial statements anywhere. It's 
that's why they're called the three blind mice, I guess. But um, the, the other thing is, in, in part three of the book, so you document why the relevance is lost, and then in part three, you go, okay, what's to be done about this? And you talked about past initiatives. You know, we had the enhanced business reporting model from the AICPA and some private companies. That didn't go anywhere. Today, they talk about the integrated reporting model. But you talk about a strategic resources and consequences report, and I, I love it because it's one page. It's very simple, and you boil it down. But can you, can you flush that out for the listeners? What is your report all about? We, we basically did two things uh, to come up at uh, uh, this report. One was going back to economics particularly microeconomics, and looking at uh, the writings about uh, sustained competitive advantage, which is basically the long-term, the real long-term objectives of businesses. It's not to, it's not to uh, beat the consensus next quarter, but it's to achieve sustained competitive advantage, to beat your competitors over the long-term and uh, we searched for how, how do companies uh, achieve this uh, sustained competitive advantage. And it's basically by uh, having uh, strategic assets. And these are the assets we focus uh, in, in the third part of the book on. A strategic asset uh, is an asset like a patent or a brand that, uh, of course, generates benefits, otherwise it's not an asset, but is of limited supply, like uh, wireless spectrum or landing rights of, uh, of uh, airlines. So it ha- it, it's limited supply, and your competitors cannot quickly imitate it. Like uh, Google's brand, I mean, it, it will take uh, decades to achieve uh, the, 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 the reputation of uh, Google's uh, brand. So these are, these are the resources. Some are intangible, some are tangible, but these are the resources that create value. We then read, and this was a huge investment. This t- took us about a year, both of us. We then read uh, hundreds of conference calls of companies in those four sectors that you mentioned before. And in order to understand what concerns financial analysts, what are they asking management about? And basically, most of the questions are about these strategic assets, the total strategy of the company, uh, the extent to which management uh, successfully uh, executes their uh, strategy. And based on these two things, the economic theory and our re- reading of the conference calls of the company, we structured this report. And it's, as you say, it's, it's a comprehensive report. It looks at five dimensions of these strategic assets. Uh, the investment in the assets, you may have a patent, but if you don't invest in additional R&D and develop the patent, nothing will come out of it. So we look at the investments in the strategic assets, at the state of the strategic assets, 
at the protection of assets. These assets are constantly in danger of being disruptive or being infringed upon by competitors. The deployment of the assets, uh, you may have brand, you may have patents, for example, that you can develop or you can license out. So there are all kinds of deployment strategies. And finally, at the value created from these efforts, and we design a specific measure for this value creation. Right. And I have to tell you, I think the idea of reading the investor calls and those types of things, that was inspired because that does give you an idea of leading indicators. You know, what are the people in the know want to know about that are going to help them peer into the future. And I I just thought that was a brilliant aspect of your research. One of the objections you can hear CFOs put out right away, well, if we put out some of this information, it's sensitive competitive information. And I thought you handled that really well in the book. But what is your response to that charge that we can't disclose this, our competitors will see it? I'm not going to dismiss this charge completely because we don't advocate that companies will strip themselves and will provide all the internal information that they have. There is no doubt that some information is sensitive and will, uh, will help competitors. But what we do paint, uh, we do, I think, I hope, very carefully in the book is provide example after example that the information that we prescribe, that we recommend, is already disclosed by some companies. So let me give you an example. If you think about, about insurance companies, one of the most important indicators, which of course you will not find in the financial report, is the frequency and the severity of claims. How many claims, how frequent is the frequency increasing over time, decreasing, and the severity, the sizes of the claims. There are, there are different reasons for, for the two. They, they uh, reflect different aspects of management of insurance companies. So uh, we give examples from three companies. Uh, Allstate is one of them. Uh, companies that, uh, that disclose this information, despite the fact that it's not required by the uh, accounting rules, others don't disclose this information. So it's very difficult to argue that this information is competitive, competitively sensitive or advantageous if all, if all state does it and, and still survive as a competitor, uh, then it is not. So that's what we try to, to show in those four chapters, that the information that we prescribe, that we recommend, is already disclosed by some of the companies in the industry with apparently no harm to these companies. Right. And in fact, you... so we don't, we don't see a reason why others would not disclose this information. Right, you show a pharmaceutical company, is it Glaxo, Smith Klein? I forget, but they, they disclose quite a I was surprised by their website. You can see where various drugs are in the FDA clinical trial process and other things, and that just is fascinating, and that was all voluntary disclosure. Yeah, the, the pharmaceutical, company, uh, pharmaceutical companies are ahead of all other sectors in disclosing meaningful information. 
And I, I was told by some people that the main reason for that is that uh, many of the analysts that follow pharmaceutical companies are very sophisticated. Some are doctors, some are scientists, and they know exactly what questions to ask. And they, they basically, over time, force companies to disclose this information. Right. But right. Well, that, there is no sector that has this kind of a disclosure of the entire product pipeline, as you say. All projects we are working on, all of them, not partially, at what stage they are, experimental, phase one clinical test, phase two clinical test, phase three clinical test, that's an example of a disclosure that, uh, to some extent, can be adopted by others, too. And again, without, without any harm to these companies. Right. And like you say in part four, probably without even regulation, this could be, no. they could be nudged into this and, and yeah. through trade associations and things. Well, Baruch, this is just fascinating, but we're up against another break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Please check out our show notes and we will have full show notes with Professor Lev at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. So, we're back on The Soul of Enterprise with Professor Berluk Lev and his book, the end of accounting, and we appreciate him being on our show today. But, uh, Professor, I just had a had a thought as you and Ron were talking, and this actually might even go back to the the first segment. But I, I no, it was, it was the last segment. You 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 had mentioned that the fact that you know accountants haven't kept up with the the the, the notion that that uh, most of the value creation is done 
via the knowledge workers and now the knowledge economy and innovation and that just stuff that's just really can't be adequately measured. And I, I just wonder if, if you think that this might have an impact on it. Accountants inventory their hours and sell their hours, right? So in other words, they force a, the, the, the old model of this inventory on themselves with whip and when they when they go in and bill by the hour, do you think it's it they're ju- it's just reinforcing in their mind the the wrong framework, the wrong model? They're just stuck in it themselves. <laughs> it's a very interesting idea. I, I cannot read the minds of, of accountants. Uh, by the way, lawyers do this too. Not, oh yeah. <laughs> Not not just uh, accountants, uh, but you know it may it may have some uh, it may have some effect. I I didn't research this issue. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it's just just because the, their brains are just so attuned to functioning around the this old model of you know the, the Dupont financial model, and that's how things work. That they almost force even their own work into the old model, right? <laughs> Therefore, it they kind of get stuck. <laughs> Yeah, it may be. Although, although I must tell you, I'm familiar with many accountants that understand the development and everything. But the problem is with the regulations. Okay. Okay. With the rules, with the standards. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and, last and, question. And, yeah, it's, it's, I, I just want to add something. It's it's not only that that in financial reports, intangibles are expensed and they are not on the balance sheet. Uh, This is a relatively less severe issue. The problem is that this expensing distorts significantly the income statement of uh, the company. The thing that the the, uh, document uh, that most investors focus on uh, we give in the book example of two companies, large companies, with different innovation uh, strategies. One develops its uh, R&D patents, whatever, internally. The other buys it, pharmaceutical company buying small uh, biotech companies. Uh, if you look at the financial report, if you look at the income statement, they will have very different results. The income of the one that develops internally will be substantially smaller because of the expensing than the income of the other company that buys it and capitalizes these assets. So you cannot really compare companies even within the industry. This is something mm. that most investors overlook and it's, it's really much more important than whether the asset appears on the balance sheet or doesn't appear on the balance sheet. It affects the performance measures. Yeah, okay. That, that's a fascinating point. So, hey, I just had one other question. This is slightly off topic, but I, I just wanted to get your reaction to it, and then I'll, I'll let Ron finish up with you. But w- would a good example of everything that you've really talked about with us be the, the, the company WhatsApp being purchased by Facebook for $22 billion when in the year that it, that it was bought only had, had a $10 million, $10 million in revenue? Uh, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a terrific example. Uh, and and uh, I, could, I could add another example. Uh, Tesla, for example, 
a company that reported $880 million loss last year. And if you just look at the income statement of the company, you would think that this is a complete failure and, and on sure, marching surely to bankruptcy. But Tesla, of course, is just an incredible innovator. And, and, uh, so you have lots of examples like, like the WhatsApp that, uh, you mentioned in which financial reports really don't portray the actual prospects, the actual value creation of companies. What's the joke, Baruch, that goodwill is the, the name that accountants give their ignorance? <laughs> That's terrific. Wow, I learned so much from this interview. <laughs> well, I that, really like that's a terrific one. The part four of your book deals with implementation. I really liked how you called for not more regulation, but actually less. But you also talked about eliminating quarterly reporting and just report quarterly the, the sales and cost of goods sold, maybe, and go to a semi-annual system. And I guess the United Kingdom and Australia do it, among other countries. And I, I think that's. I think you're right about that. I think the short-termism is is not, not helpful. I yeah, I agree with you. You know, I want I, I didn't want to be lynched, so I I said this is something to think about because so many people are, are fixated on, on the quarterly thing. Uh, I don't think that there will be a significant loss of information to investors if uh, instead of the full fledged quarterly reports uh, we'll get basically the, the direction of the company from quarterly sales, quarterly cost of sales. That's it. We don't need balance sheet. We don't need all, all the other things. Uh, I don't think there will be a significant loss of uh, information. The reason why I mention this is uh, because a, a CFO of a large company told me several years ago, he said, Baruch, you, you always talk about additional information that we have to produce, we are already burdened by, by all the regulations. So if you want us to produce something new, point out at something that can be eliminated. Love and I, it. Thought this was, I thought this was a great advice. Was. And so I, I was really thinking about something that can lighten the burden uh, and if you eliminate those, those reports, two less conference calls during the year, much less focus on the short term than, than today, uh, I, I, I don't think that the world will come to an end. I think you're right. Well, Baruch, this has been fantastic. It's a wonderful book. I'm going to do everything I can to promote it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your insight. Just an inspired book. Congratulations and, and best wishes with it. Ed, what's on store for next week? Next week, we're going to have another interview run. We are interviewing David Barrett, who is the CEO of Expensify. So perhaps we'll ex ask him about the value of his financial statements. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, at Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. In the meantime, please check out the show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. 
We will have full show notes of Baruch Lev's book, uh, The End of Accounting, which I highly recommend. And you can also contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.